Good evening, everybody. Well, my name is James. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at the Chapel Sydney. Uh, if we haven't met, nice to meet you. Thank you for inviting us into your home tonight. Now, a couple of years ago, my life was speeding at a thousand kilometers per hour. Uh, and some of you might relate to this because this is your life right now. Uh, you're in fifth gear, you've got deadlines, you've got to feed the kids, and you've got to get that report done by tomorrow. Now, I remember it was towards the end of the year in October when things really started to, to kick up another gear. Uh, my colleague left the IT company I was working for, uh, which meant I would be looking after 500 employees, uh, 500 potential computer issues. And 500 times I would say, have you tried restarting your computer? Now, I was also serving in church, making sure our Sunday services were running smoothly. Um, and it just happened that a lot of our leaders weren't going to be there that month. Uh, I was also serving and leading a team for youth conference, uh, which took up a lot of time because of meetings and, and, and trainings. And when I wasn't there, I was at home looking after my grandma uh, and also studying for a subject. My schedule was packed. Uh, I was stressed. I was, I was irritable. I was anxious. I was on edge, I wasn't sleeping properly, and I had no margin for anything else. Uh, I thought I was gonna, going to implode. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't give us seasons in which we're meant to work hard and diligent, uh, because he definitely does. Uh, but I am saying that life at that speed is just not sustainable. Uh, people break. Just look at the news. People break morally, emotionally, physically. Uh, we're overstressed. We're overloaded. And we don't have to look far to see the damaging effects of constantly running at 120% of our capacities. We just need to look at the increase in medication, increase in depression, anxiety, mental illness. You know, one of the greatest gifts that God has given us is rest. Our bodies are made for rest. We sleep a third of our lives. Has anyone noticed the crazy speed in which we live life? You know, if we were to compare the lifestyles and the way of life between today and 100 years ago, uh, it would look very different. Let's take, for example, the, uh, the invention of the light bulb, Thomas Edison. Now, did you know that Thomas Edison, he actually hated sleep? And he made it for people to stay up past sunset. He had a firm belief that he could take society and the world out of the cave days. His invention of the light bulb in 1879, it altered the way we live forever. You know, just think about what life was like before the light bulb. When the sun was set, your day was done. Uh, life was dictated by light. But after Edison's invention, that time when the sun set, that was actually when some people's day began. Thomas Edison found a way to cheat the sleep system. He found a way for the human race to push its limits. And the shift toward living a life of speed, it, it began then. Alwan Curry's uh, 2015 research uh, found that Thomas Edison's, before Edison's invention, the average person slept 11 hours a night. Uh, that's like sleeping at 12 at midnight and waking up at 11 p.m., which I know some people in this room do that. Um, we are now actually averaging around seven hours of sleep per night. Now, that's a massive difference when we add that up. You know, God has wired us to sleep. He has programmed us to rest. Or we break down, we run the risk of issues later in life. 
Medical doctor Brennan Peters and Rachel Cook from the National Institute of Health share that when we don't get enough sleep, we're 50% more likely to develop heart disease, 50% more likely to be obese, three times more likely to catch a cold, 33% more likely to develop dementia. The risk of depression, anxiety, mental illness, memory loss, it increases. And chronic sleep deprivation is also said to carve uh, three to five years off the ages of our brain. We are a people, a society, a nation who are tired. And we try to cheat the cycles of, of sleep and rest that God has in place. And we find ourselves at the brink of a breakdown, in the middle of utter chaos. Chaos in our minds, in our relationships, in our marriages, jobs, and ultimately our hearts. You know, there's something that's off with the way we live life in the 21st century. We have all these gadgets and smart devices that are meant to help us save time, but the effect has been the opposite. Our lives are like speeding cars going down a road as soon as we hit a sharp turn, a crisis in our life, a setback. Our lives flip and crash and burn. And a culture has taught us that slow is bad and that rest is for the weak. But we just need to look around us and see the carnage and the fires we, we set alight because of this frantic pace that we're living in. You know, if something's not working, if there's a fault with a product, what do we do? What do we do when we need help? We go to the manufacturer. We go to the person who created the thing. If we want to know how to find rest for our restless souls, then we actually need to go to the creator. So today we're going to see what God says about rest, in particular the Sabbath, and how we can apply these principles and truths to our lives. You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we learned from Pastor Steve that the Bible is sectioned off into two main parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. If we're to look at what God says about rest, then the best place to start is at the beginning. So let's turn to uh, Genesis 2, 1 to 3. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now in Genesis chapter 1, we see God creating and forming the heavens and the earth. From the very beginning, we read that on the seventh day, God rested. That word rested, when we uh, look at the original Hebrew, it translates to Sabbath or Shabbat. And it just means to cease, to rest, to end. And you'll see this word Sabbath come up all throughout Scripture. And it just means to stop, cease, rest. So God, after six days of work, he rested. Now that's such an interesting statement because uh, if you're like me, the first question that pops into my mind was, um, does God get tired? Was God tired? Like if God gets tired, is he even God? Was God tired like we get tired after an exhausting 60-hour week at work? You know, and the short answer to this question is no. Uh, the idea that God gets tired is actually um, contrary to what the Bible says about God. Isaiah 40, 28 says, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Now, if God doesn't get tired, but he rested from his work, 
then could it be that God straight from the beginning of creation is trying to show us something? Could it be that he's actually trying to show us how to live with the rhythms that he has put in place? God created for six days and on the seventh he rested. He ceased from all his work, not because he was tired, but because he was setting an example for us to follow. God has woven this Sabbath rest into the fabric of creation. He has wired our bodies and minds to rest. Dear Carson says, It seems likely that the emphasis on God creating six days and then resting on the seventh is deliberate. God's mode of working was to be a model for human activity. People who are made in the image of God are expected throughout the Bible to imitate God. God desires us to rest. He desires us to rest so much that he actually made it a law for his people in the Old Testament. Now, did you know that this law is actually a part of the Ten Commandments? Exodus 28 to 11 says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. God tells his people in the Old Testament to remember the Sabbath, to remember to stop, cease, and rest. You know, the book of Exodus is the second book of the Bible. It's the narrative story of how God saved his people, the Israelites, from the oppression and slavery in Egypt. It zooms in on this one character, Moses, the leader of God's people. And God uses Moses to lead his people out of oppression through many signs and wonders such as different plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, and the provision of food and water in the desert. Now we have to realize that God gives Moses this command in Exodus 20 to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy after he has done all these miraculous signs. The idea of remembering the Sabbath wasn't just for their physical, mental, emotional states, but it was a celebration and reminder of the redemption story of how God saved his people from oppression and slavery. The idea of rest was to remember and observe, because when we stop and rest, it reminds us of all that God has done, all that God has given to us. Resting gives us an opportunity to stop and soak in all of his goodness. It doesn't matter whether you're watching this and you're a Christian or not, whether you call yourself a believer or not. God has lavished on every single person this common grace in which anyone and everyone can enjoy his creation. You know, from the melodies and sounds of an amazing band to when we sit down to enjoy an amazing 18-hour slow-cooked A9 Wagyu beef brisket with a glass bottle of no sugar Sprite. Amen. Or when we gather to, uh, to enjoy Korean barbecue with friends. Or when we sit down at the beach and see an amazing sunset light up the sky with pastels of reds, oranges, blues. That's common grace. That's grace that God has given to all of us, whether we believe him or not. I remember one time before lockdown, uh, when our brother from our Bowood campus, Anthony Bjorn, uh, as we call him, AB. Uh, he coerced, invited, whatever you want to call it, uh, myself and, and Albert Jank to do a CrossFit workout with him. <laughs> and I would highly recommend uh, working out with AB because you will definitely feel the burn. Well, this CrossFit workout, it really lasts for only like a couple of minutes. Uh, and we did this workout called Linda. I think it was called Linda, uh, which was a combination of a squat, 
into a uh, shoulder press and then some pull-ups. Sounds easy. Uh, well, it was the first time in my life where I thought I was going to vomit after working out. Um, it's the feeling of being nauseous, lightheaded, having the cold sweats. So I pull AB aside and I say, oh, hey man, um, I think I'm going to vomit. And AB being the man, man of God, full of wisdom, full of grace, full of knowledge, he looks at me and he says, I know exactly what you need. Let's go to Macca's. And I was just like, the last thing on my mind right now is a large Rick McMill double cheeseburger and some nuggets. But little did I know that God had prepared one of the greatest drinks in the world at Macca's. A frozen Coke for $1. As soon as that frozen Coke hit my body, I was healed instantly from the nauseousness and the cold sweats. And I felt energized, I felt rested, and I was ready to go and eat some Macca's. Uh, you know, that's what it's meant to feel like when we feel, when we rest properly. When we Sabbath, it's meant to refill our tanks. It's meant to energize us. You know, just as God has wired us to enjoy his creation, God has wired us to rest. Because when we rest, it points us back to the creator. So what does this mean for us today? Does it mean that we're still meant to observe the Sabbath? Well, it's interesting uh, what Jesus does on the Sabbath. In Mark 2.28, we read that, uh, that Jesus and his disciples were walking through a field on the Sabbath day. And they were hungry. So they start picking the heads of grain. And they start munching on them. They start eating them. And as soon as they do, uh, the religious leaders of that time, they, they accuse Jesus and his disciples of breaking the Sabbath laws. These religious leaders called the Pharisees were, were like your local church leaders, like your, um, your local, local leaders. But they love the praise of people. They love the outward appearance of looking holy and having the status of someone important, but inwardly there was no love for God, no love for people, just love for self. One of the things that the Pharisees twisted from a life-giving practice to uh, oppressive legalism was the Sabbath. The Pharisees actually set up strict laws uh, regarding how to keep the Sabbath. They actually added uh, 39 categories of forbidden activities. They set up complex, confusing systems of Sabbath laws, uh, it turned out to be oppressive and legalistic. You know, what was meant to give life, they twisted into an unbearable practice of religion. Why? So that they could lord it over the peoples. And so they go to Jesus and they say, you are breaking the Sabbath law because you are harvesting. And Jesus responds by saying, the Sabbath was made for man, man uh, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus was saying that he is the one who has authority even over the rules and regulations that the Pharisees had put in place. That he was greater than these religious man-made laws. Jesus as God in flesh was saying that he is the author and creator of the Sabbath. John puts it like this in John 1-2. He, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. You know, the disciples didn't break God's Sabbath laws. They only violated the, the Pharisees' interpretation of that law. And so Jesus reminds the Pharisees and the religious leaders that uh, the creation of the Sabbath, the very intention and the purpose 
was to point us back to the Creator. The Sabbath was meant to show us that when that we were weak in our own strength, that we were powerless to break the chains and addictions in our lives, that there was no way in which we could live this life without a Savior. The Sabbath was meant to point us to Jesus because in Jesus we find true rest for our souls. The Apostle Paul says it like this in Colossians 2.13, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of the legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So do we have to keep the Sabbath rule today? Well, no, no, we don't. Because the rule was a sign to point us to Jesus. The Apostle Paul said that the Sabbath day was a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Jesus, as the Lord of the Sabbath, through the death and resurrection of his body, he becomes our true Sabbath rest. We are no longer bound by the Sabbath laws because of the salvation we have in Christ. Just as the Sabbath law was given to man to give him rest from labors. We no longer need to labor and strive to achieve our own salvation by our works. Ben Stewart says it like this, the Sabbath was a picture of our dependence so that we can trust in God's sufficiency. The rule as a sign of the covenant is over, but the rhythm of creation still exists. What does that mean? It means our bodies were made to function at its peak with rest. Yes, we're not bound by the Sabbath laws, but if we want to live life the way God intended us to live, then our job is to submit to the rhythm of creation. And a good way to see this is to compare it to music. The rhythm of creation is like music. You know, we see it from the very beginning in Genesis 1. God created this and it was good. God created that and it was good. It was good. It was good. You know, God is playing this steady, purposeful tempo. And we can choose to submit to the beat of the rhythm or we can go against it and feel the tension of being out of step. God is playing music through the rhythm of creation and he's inviting us into that dance. The question is, how do we submit to that rhythm? Number one, before we do anything else, we submit our lives to the creator of the Sabbath rest. If you're here and you're not a believer, then I urge you the greatest rest that you need in your life is not physical. It's, it's actually spiritual. It's the need for a Savior to save you from having to strive to be right with God. The Bible says that if you've ever stolen, ever lied, ever taken God's name in vain, then you are guilty of sin and the punishment of sin is death. Because God is a holy God, He can't let sin go unpunished. But this is the story of the gospel. Jesus came, took our place, took our sins, took the punishment due to us. He died on the cross, conquered death, and rose again on the third day. And now because of Jesus, we don't need to strive to earn our standing with God. 
Before we submit to the rhythms of rest and Sabbath, we need to submit to the creator of the Sabbath. How many of you guys have uh, slow computers and slow phones? How many people have uh, been to an Apple store or a Samsung store and and the first question they ask you is, when was the last time you restarted your device? Why do they ask you that? You know, when you restart your device, uh, it actually clears out a lot of the junk that's clogging up the processing power. When was the last time you reset? When was the last time you let your body and mind just breathe? Just like how smartphones need to be restarted and reset, we need to rest and reset because it recenters our hearts. It reminds us that God is still in control. A practical way to implement rest in our lives is to start forming a Sabbath rhythm. We need to think of the Sabbath as a mini celebration every week. It's like celebrating Christmas every week, 52 times a year. You know, in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was technically a 24-hour period, Friday to Saturday, and it uh, typically started by lighting candles to signify the start of the Sabbath. And they would feast at dinner time. Again, think of uh, Christmas dinner every time you start the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a celebration. It was a time to share stories and laugh. But, you know, now, but remember what I said before about the rule of the Sabbath as a sign of the covenant. That's, that's over. We are no longer bound by these Sabbath laws. How you find your Sabbath rest and rhythm, it's going to look different to other people. It's going to look different in different seasons. Uh, Whether you're single, married, have kids, have shift work or or weekend work, uh, like many of our brothers and sisters do on the front line. So as you can see, there's so many variables to this. But the heart behind the Sabbath is the same. The Sabbath is meant to bring us life doesn't need to be a Friday to Saturday or a 24-hour period. I know the majority of families with young kids won't be able to do that. The key is to find something that gives you life, even if it's just for a couple of hours. I know for a lot of people it's going for a walk or reading a book with a coffee, playing sports or taking a nap, watching a movie, not, not binging but watching a movie. And, you know, as you do those things that give you life, be reminded that Christ is our ultimate rest. By implementing a Sabbath rhythm, you're moving in step with the tempo and rhythm that God has in place. You know, the Sabbath is for our benefit. It's so countercultural to the way the world works. Because the world tells us that when we rest, we're missing out. We're missing out on deadlines. We're missing out on opportunities to make money. But rest is faith. Ceasing from work, resting, forming a Sabbath rhythm. It's a form of faith because what you're ultimately saying is, God, I trust you. I trust that you are working. And I rest because I know you are working. Another practical way to implement rest in our lives is to slow down. We are a generation of people who are so, so rushed. When we speed through life, we miss opportunities to grow deep roots in our character, our relationships, our identity. I love this quote by Ben Stewart. Speed is the enemy of depth. 
What we're lacking today is deep people because we don't know how to slow down. When we slow down, it forces us to face ourselves, the ugly parts of us that we've hidden away. John Mark Homer says it like this, if we can slow down both the pace at which we can at which we think and the pace at which we can uh, we move our bodies through the world, maybe we can slow down. Maybe we can slow down our souls to a pace at which they can taste and see that the Lord is good and that life in this world is good too. John Orberg says, For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. So how do we slow down? We slow down by controlling our phones. Don't let your phone control you. I don't know about you, but uh, I know for myself, I can't have my phone or my iPad in my room. Um, I, charge, I intentionally charge my phone outside of my room. And when I go to sleep, I, I parent it. I, I put it to sleep. I put it on do not disturb mode so that I'm not woken up by, by the phone. And I'm not allowing my phone to dictate the way I, I live my life or the way I sleep. Otherwise, we go into bed at 9.30 at night, uh, tired and sleepy, and we just say, oh, Instagram, just for a couple more minutes. And then we find ourselves, it's 3 a.m., and we're four seasons into some Netflix series. Um, we end up frying our brains. Now, if you're worried uh, because you use your phone for an alarm, then get an old-school analog uh, alarm clock. Uh, but if you're saying the ticking is so loud, because that's me, then get a digital alarm clock. <laughs> there are ways around this. You know, I can't think of a worse way to start your day than waking up to a text or an email from work telling you that uh, something is super urgent or, that, uh, or a news notification of some violent thing that's happened in the world. But I need you to hear me on this. Of course, um, if you're on call for work or if you have or if you're looking after family members and you need your phone there, then have your phone there. You need to use wisdom in how to navigate this season in your life. We slow down by limiting our time on social media or entertainment. The, the average Netflix user watches a series in five days, and I know it's a lot quicker for some people, uh, with the average person spending about 35 hours a week watching TV. You know, when we spend that much time consuming entertainment, it will no doubt affect our mental, emotional, physical states. Uh, John Markoma says, every single thing that we let into our lives, into our minds, will have an effect on our souls. Our time is our life, and our attention is the doorway to our hearts. We slow down our lives by being the master of our phones and limiting what we allow into our hearts. The reality is that this season of our lives is, is like none we've uh, ever gone through. It's a season of our lives where we've needed God's rest and peace more than ever. Whether you call yourself a Christian or not, it's okay if you're feeling tired or restless or overwhelmed or burnt out. Jesus in his mercy and grace invites all who are tired and weary and burdened to come to him and cast all our cares on him. Jesus says, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm just going to invite the team back up as we close.